has there ever been a time where I said something about God or you heard something about God in the Bible maybe that just gave you like a lot of questions? You said like words that like I've never heard of. What kind of words? Bible jokes are like words that kids don't know what they mean. So oh. not bad words? No. Okay, good. I'm going to say Noah's Ark because God created us, right? Right. And he just got angry and flooded the whole world. Wouldn't God know that mankind wouldn't be perfect? So why would God create everything knowing the future that he was going to have to destroy everything? Why would he make it the way that he did? He can predict the future. He knows that Adam and Eve are going to get tricked by the serpent. So why not prevent that from happening? Thank you. I've never heard anyone say that to me before. <laughs> Mark, I want to ask you a question about this thing, because we just went to the Dominican Republic, and life's hard there, right? Like, there's a lot of people suffering. How do you think we can say God is nice when so many people have such a hard life? They appreciate everything that's given to them, and I feel like... If everyone appreciated everything that's given to them, we'd all just be happy because we'd all be happy with what we have. So joy doesn't really come from what you get, it's from what you have inside. Yes. How do the rest of you feel about my hairdo? I feel like it might be a little bit too spiky. Can you come and help me? Can you just fix it? What the heck did you put in your hair? It's a lot of product in there. I spend all my pastor's salary on hair product. Who Made God is the name of the series. Last week with part one, I tackled the most common question kids ask, which is why did God make us in the first place? Great question. We talked about that last week and how God made us for his glory. And uh, today I'm going to move on to the second most frequently asked question by our kids during our interviews. And that is some variation of if God knows everything, and we think that he does, then, then he must have known that things would go wrong with the world. And so why didn't God just make a better world? That's a great question. Y'all see why I'm nervous today. Why didn't God just make a better world? So I want to tackle that question along with another one our kids ask, which, um, which has to do with a Bible story that kids talk about more than any other Bible story, and that is the story of Noah's Ark. And that story you heard, that question you heard in the video today, um, like if God knew everything was going to go south, he was going to have to flood the earth. Why did he create things the way that he did in the first place? Our kids are really, really smart, y'all. Can you imagine being where I am today trying to answer these questions? Um, but the question that Noah's Ark raises is why would God wipe out the world um, because of, you know, sin and human depravity. Is that really love? I feel a little more qualified than usual to speak uh, directly to the problems of sin and human depravity because this week I was in Las Vegas all week. For the first time in my life, I went to Las Vegas. And you see things in Las Vegas. You see things on the strip. And Pastor Gio and I were in Vegas all week uh, just seeing things that you can't really unsee. And so I feel a little more, I feel a little tired, a little, little exhausted because of Vegas, but it's all that extra oxygen apparently they pump into the rooms there. But I, I'm going to handle that question um, today as best I can by, by looking at, at Noah's Ark. Now most of us probably heard the story of Noah's Ark for the first time as though it is a nursery rhyme. Most of us heard that story as children, which is interesting because it is not a children's story. <laughs> We heard it like, like nestled between where the wild things are and the itsy bitsy spider as kids at bedtime. But it is 
far from being a nursery rhyme. It is not rated G or PG. The Noah's Ark story is the most horrific thing I've ever read, right? It is R-rated. It is full of death and darkness and bloodshed and violence. But for some reason, we put Noah's Ark on the cover of every children's Bible that's ever been made. And we put the art of Noah's Ark as some kind of caricature of what really happened. I doubt that's how it really looked. But Noah and the animals are all smiling, you know, and happy like they're about to board a carnival cruise. And little do they know that they're about to have the worst experience of their lives, just sort of seasick in a cesspool of animal filth which is a lot like a Carnival Cruise, I admit. But it is, it is coming their way, right? Like, like the flood is coming, it is imminent, it is awful, and this is how we characterize it to our kids. Naturally, our kids are confused. Of course they're gonna be, they're gonna intuit the, the, the cognitive dissonance between this and the story where everything dies, where God kills everything. Like naturally, if you've got kids, they've asked you questions. Why did all the pandas die? You know, like why the foxes? You know, like why all the cutest animals? Why did they have to die? And these are questions that if we don't wrestle honestly with when our kids are young, they're going to grow up just being religious and just reading these stories as they appear on the page, taking them at face value, and then they're gonna go to college or they're gonna meet some really smart friends or professors. They're gonna be challenged about these stories and then their faith will fall apart because the way they've been trained to read these stories does not stand up to what we know to be true about how the world works. This happened to many of us. That kind of thing uh, happened to me. And so uh, we, we have to figure out what to do with this story. I'm going to read part of this story now um, just as a way of setting the table for the rest of our conversation. I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can open it. Um, a Bible app works as well on your, on your phone um, or it's in your study guides and on the screen. I'm going to start in verse 5 through verse 8. And pardon me for skipping around. I did this for time's sake. But 13 to 14 and 17 to 22 as well. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that humanity had become thoroughly evil on the earth and that every idea their minds thought up was always completely evil. The Lord regretted making human beings on the earth and he was heartbroken. So the Lord said, I will wipe off of the land the human race that I've created from human beings to livestock to the crawling things to the birds in the skies because I regret I ever made them. But as for Noah, the Lord approved of him. God said to Noah, the end has come for all creatures since they have filled the earth with violence. I'm now about to destroy them along with the earth. So make a wooden ark. Make the ark with nesting places and cover it inside and out with tar. I'm now bringing the floodwaters over the earth to destroy everything under the sky that breathes. Everything on earth is about to take its last breath, but I will set up my covenant with you. You will go into the ark together with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. From all living things, from all creatures, you are to bring a pair, male and female, into the ark with you to keep them alive. From each kind of bird, from each kind of livestock, from each kind of living, or from each kind of everything that crawls on the ground. A pair from each will go with you to stay alive. 
Take some from every kind of food and stow it as food for you. And the animals, Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventh day of that month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. So water came from under the ground and the windows of the heaven were opened. Water poured down from the sky and the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. What are we going to do about Noah's Ark? What do we do with this story? How do we convince our friends and neighbors who aren't sure about God or Jesus that God is love with the Noah's Ark story looming in the Bible? What do we say about a God who wipes out the whole world with a flood? These are questions that are, that are important for us to ask and honestly um, wrestle with. Here's the issue, I think, with taking Noah's Ark and reading it as though it's in a vacuum, reading it as though it, there wasn't anything else going on in the world around those who told this story, right? So it just happened in, in a vacuum and we should take it at face value. When you do that, this God who you find on the pages of Genesis 6 looks arbitrary. He looks cruel. He looks like he's just destroying the world kind of on a whim. It kind of seems like an overreaction against uh, the sin that was going on in the world. And so these millions of lives suddenly lost because God suddenly regretted ever making us. And you have that friend or those friends or those family members or those colleagues at work, or maybe you live with someone who will point to a story like Noah's Ark first to criticize Christianity and to bring to the surface all the reasons why no educated person in the 21st century should ever worship that Stone Age God who took out millions of lives for seemingly no good reasons. Right? You have that friend who will criticize the Noah's Ark story and lift it up as a reason why they don't believe. It, it is, Noah's Ark is kind of a punching bag on, on atheist subreddit threads and things like that. Well, keeping that in mind, here's what we know for sure about Noah's Ark. We know there was a flood that happened. There was on record, scientific, historic record, a major catastrophic flood event that actually happened sometime around 5000 B.C. Okay? And so all the civilizations that ever existed in that region had a flood story, right? Noah's Ark doesn't stand alone in terms of cultures and civilizations that documented that flood event. All these different civilizations were writing about that one flood event. And this event happened at the end of the Ice Age when there was a sheet of ice covering the earth and the fountains of the deep burst forth. So water came up from underneath and water came down from on high. And before they knew it, the world as they knew it was covered in water. A near extinction event. And every civilization recorded their own account. We have some of these stories still today. In addition to the Noah's Ark story, we have other stories other people told about that flood, trying to make sense of it through the lens of their deities. Here's the thing that we have to kind of wrestle with as, as Christians who, who love the Bible and, and people that are struggling with questions about the Bible. The, the guy who wrote, we think who wrote uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and most of Deuteronomy was, anybody? All right, extra credit for you. So this only you apparently know. Moses, 
uh, wrote the first five books of the Bible. Moses existed uh, sometime between 1500 and 1200 BC. The flood event again happened around 5000 BC. So in the time span between the flood event and Moses' life, during which he could have started writing stories like Noah and the ark, there were other stories that were already being told in the region where the Hebrews lived. A lot of that time they lived as slaves, oppressed by the cultures around them, the cultures that were circulating these other stories about these other gods and that one great flood long ago. And as I said before, we have records of these stories. The one that is most famous, and if you've been to college in any kind of comparative religions class or, or philosophy of religion class, you know probably about the, the, the epic of Gilgamesh, which is a story that began circulating around 2000 BC. So a little bit before Moses' time on earth, a little bit before Noah and the ark began to be told by the Hebrew people. The epic of Gilgamesh includes a flood narrative. On tablet 11 of the epic of Gilgamesh is uh, the, the story story of the great flood according to this Mesopotamian Babylonian culture. And the hero of this story is a man named Utnapishtim. You guys say that with me. Utnapishtim. I'm so happy that I am a Christian and I can talk about Noah and the ark and not Utnapishtim and the ark. That would be a lot harder to preach uh, today. I might give him a nickname or something. Ut. But uh, Noah is, is our hero. Utnapishtim was the hero of, the, of that ancient flood story told by the Babylonians and the Mesopotamians. And in today's study guide, I provided a table with some of the comparisons between the Utnapishtim story from the Epic of Gilgamesh and the Noah story from the Bible. And I'm going to get to why this matters in just a minute. This is more than just sort of, uh, you know, intellectual, whatever, navel-gazing stuff. This is, this is important. And some of the differences are when they were circulating uh, and, and told at first. And, and the story of Utnapishtim, we think, was told uh, at first about 2000 BC. The story of Noah and the Ark couldn't have been told if it was written by Moses, um, probably until Moses' life. So 15 to, or, uh, I think around 1200 BC is probably when they started telling um, the story of, of Moses and passing that down. Uh, the story of Utnapishtim and the epic uh, of Gilgamesh uh, told about a god, one of many gods. So it was a pantheon of gods in this Babylonian culture, a pantheon of gods who had all kinds of different character traits and quirks. And one of those gods told Utnapishtim to build a ship that measured 14,400 square cubits. God told Noah to build a ship that measured 15,000 square cubits. In uh, the epic of Gilgamesh, Utnapishtim is told to gather his family and whatever living things he could find. Noah, on the other hand, is told to gather to his family and friends but every living thing on earth. Two of every one. God wanted every living thing to survive the flood. And number four, the gods flooded the earth because, according to the uh, story of Utnapishtim, the humans were too noisy. Humans were too loud. Ugh. I can't get any sleep, the gods said. Literally, that's what they said. I can't sleep up here. Those humans are too noisy. Let's flood the earth and kill them all so I can get some sleep. You get, you get a sense of their character? A bunch of divas. They're like a bunch of Kardashians in the sky. Like, yeah, just, yeah. You know, just, it's gross that that's why you would destroy the earth. And the God of the Bible, the one true God in the Bible, uh, floods the earth because humans have become inhuman. They've lost their essence, their identity. Made in the image of God, they, they, they have lost their way. They've become corrupted, violent, oppressing each other, and God is heartsick 
right? So as the floodwaters rise in the story of Udnapishim, the gods actually run. They cower in fear at the horrors that they've created, the calamities they've caused. They run to heaven because they're scared. They cry out like women in labor. The, the story says, but this God of Noah, the one true God, is sovereign and steadfast. The story says God remembered Noah through the flood. God prepared the covenant for Noah. At the end of the Udnapishtim story, um, the, the gods are so relieved that Udnapishtim and his family are okay, but not for their well-being. It's because the gods are hungry. Nobody's been feeding them all this time. And the, the god, this flood only lasted seven days, but for seven whole days, these gods didn't have any food because they couldn't prepare their own meals, apparently. What kind of gods are these? They need people to feed them. And so they told the people, get to work. I'm glad you survived the flood, but get to work. Feed me. I'm hungry now. But this one true god comes and meets Noah on his turf and proposes a covenant, a marriage. So what are we to do with these competing accounts of the same event? How do we interpret these, uh, these different stories um, uh, in, in a way that, that makes sense today? Now, um, I, think the, I think the struggle uh, for us is when we get wrapped around the wrong axle. We get wrapped around defending the historicity and accuracy of the Bible stories. And please, I'm terrified right now. I was terrified all morning that I'm giving the wrong impression. I'm not saying the flood didn't happen. It absolutely did. I'm not saying Noah didn't exist. Jesus said he did. I'm not saying the Bible doesn't have it right. I'm just, I'm just saying sometimes when, when that's what is most important to us, sometimes we become that defensive Christian, you know, who goes out of his or her way to, to just make a point and be right. Well, it's conceivable that, that one man built a boat that size. It's possible that all the animals fit on the boat. It's possible that the lions didn't eat the gazelles. It's, it's conceivable that the beavers and termites didn't and undermine the whole operation. Like, it's possible. Tell me it didn't happen. You know, we get in those kinds of arguments when really when we do that, we're missing the whole point. The people who told that story knew the other stories. The Hebrew people had heard the Epic of Gilgamesh. They were well-versed in that, in that story. They knew the story of Udnapishtim because those were the cultures that lorded over them for all of that time. And when they told the story of Noah and the ark and they wrote out those old gods and they, they, they wrote in the, the one true God of Israel, they did that for a reason. And the ways that they told the story, the details that they shared in the story, they did that for a reason. You know, and I think the reason is sometimes the world around us becomes so convinced that God is one way when really he's a whole different way. And people become convinced because of sin or religion or whatever that, that God or the gods are this way when really God all along has been that way. And so when the, the Hebrew people tell the Noah story, they're like, look, y'all thought the, the gods were just willy-nilly wiping people out because we were too noisy. No, God was heartsick because of violence and, and oppression and greed. Y'all thought the gods ran for the hills when the waters rose? No, God stood steadfast and prepared a covenant. Y'all thought the gods were one way. Really, God 
It's a whole different way. They even went so far as to make the boat a little bit bigger. Did you notice? Like the boat was just, y'all thought God was that big. No, no, no. You have no idea. God's even bigger. God's even bigger. There's even more room. God doesn't want just some of his creation to survive the flood. God wants all of his creation. Listen, I think they told that story because they knew the one true God. He had brought them out of Egypt. He delivered them. He had set them up for a new life in the wilderness. He had saved them time and time again. And they knew that that one true God that they'd gotten to know over the years was not like those gods of old. And so they had a new story, a better story to tell about a greater God. And I think that is one of the reasons why we have the story of Noah and the ark. Because holy, God is holy. God is just. God is greater than the gods that we often worship in this world. So I think that's the story that they're telling, that he didn't just flood the, the earth on a, on a whim, but in fact, uh, being a God of justice and, and holiness, God has to act when faced with such violence and depravity. And uh, I know it sounds a little bit harsh. Um, I know it's, it's easy for us to in our place of comfort and convenience today to still kind of look down on that act of God and, and judge, like, oh, how bad would humans have to be to deserve such a punishment? Like, how perverted or depraved would we have to get to deserve a flood? And I think a week ago, I would have been right there with you, but have I mentioned that I went to Vegas this week? Like, I'm not saying Vegas deserves it. I, I'm just, I kind of got a glimpse of the depths of human depravity and how bad it can all really get. I'm not justifying the morality of God one way or another. That's not my point today. I'm saying God is God and I'm not. And God is greater than you've heard. At the end of the story, uh, God comes to Noah and proposes a covenant. And this is a word that we throw around enough in church that nobody pays attention anymore. You need to know how unheard of it would have been for any God to meet people on their turf, on our turf, and propose a covenant. Because a covenant is a two-way street. The gods of old did not deal in two-way streets. The gods of old dealt in one-way streets from the top down, and you dealt with whatever they gave you. This God comes to you on your turf and on your terms wherever you are and proposes a covenant promising to take care of you, to love you, to provide for you, and just to be in relationship with you. A covenant implies vulnerability. A covenant implies relationship. The people who told the story of Noah and the ark wanted the world, the whole world, to know that the one true God is different. The one true God is better than the gods that they've been bowing to. Really, that's a theme in the Bible that doesn't end with Noah, y'all. That extends to the New Testament. I mean, read the whole Bible and you'll see again and again people, either those outside the community of God or even those inside the community, being challenged to rethink their assumptions about God. Because God is always bigger than the box you put him in. Jesus does the same thing. Read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and count. How many times in Matthew's, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, how many times Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. He's talking to people that knew the Bible. You have heard that it was said, don't murder. 
I'm telling you, don't even be angry with each other. You see, y'all thought God was just about this, but really God is all about this. Y'all have heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. That's fine. But I'm telling you, don't even objectify someone who's not your spouse by looking at them with lust in your heart. Y'all thought God was just about this. Really, God, it's about this. It's not just about the act. It's about holiness. It's not just about religion. It's about the heart. Right? So Jesus is calling us forward. And it's not that God changes or that God evolves over time. It's that our ability, our capacity to conceive of such a God might change. Right? And so the Bible is constantly calling us to a deeper, uh, fuller understanding of this God who is greater. Y'all. How many of us have that friend who needs to hear that truth today? That friend that is quick to criticize the Bible and Christians, and sometimes rightfully so, sometimes Christians get it so wrong. But so many people have walked away from the church or Christianity or God because the stuff they've heard about God is not the way God really is. Some of you might be sitting in this room today, you came reluctantly because you were invited by a friend or, you know, some girl that you're interested in or whatever, like, thank you for coming. I know it's not for me. That's fine, but I'm glad you're here. But listen, you might have heard that God was one way when really God is a whole different way. You might have heard that God is ashamed of you when really you have no idea how proud he is of you. You might have heard that God can't wait to condemn sinners to hell. You have no idea how big his heart is for all of us and how I am a sinner like anyone else, regardless of where I stand on a Sunday morning. You might think that God you know, has hatred in his heart for those who don't believe in him yet or whatever. Like You have no idea the lengths to which he will chase you, even in your rejection of him, even in your depravity. He will chase you to Vegas and back just to bring you home with him. Peter, tries to, Peter the, the apostle of Jesus, tries to communicate this very thing with something Jesus told him that happened that really blows my mind. Every time I read this, it's in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 3 when Peter says this is what happened between the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection. So this is what happened on Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Peter said after being made alive, Jesus went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Let's go back just a second. I'm I'm sorry. We got to talk about this for a second, y'all. This did y'all catch this? Did y'all check out? Did y'all World Cup score or whatever? It's 3-1. 3-1 uh, France, by the way. 4-2. Still winning France. Okay. So, anyway, this is crazy. Jesus went to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient in the days of Noah. See, you might have heard that God gives up on people. You might have heard that God can't wait to send people to hell who deserve it. But you have no idea that the gates of hell might be locked from the inside, but the gates of heaven never close. You have no idea the extent of the reach of his grace. You might have heard he was one way, but really he is another, much better way. The reason the people of God told a new story about that old flood is because they saw the gods that others were worshiping and they needed to tell a new story about a greater God, a better story about a higher God, the one true God. And they told that story. 
And I think that doesn't stop with the Bible that continues on to us. You're not called to be a churchgoer. You're not called to be a Methodist. Yeah, as far as religion goes, you're not called to be dogmatic or you know, a Christian by the book. You're called to be a disciple of Jesus who tells a better story about a greater God. Sometimes we get wrapped around all the wrong axles. And all we try to do is be right or be pleasant or whatever, make our points. When in fact there's something more that we're called to do. And and it's not about having the right arguments or knowing chapter and verse of, of the Bible all the time, which all that's great, but are you living a better story? Are you living a better life about a greater story that speaks to this higher God? Y'all, that is why we support the things we support at the story. It's no accident that we support the Chi Alpha ministry at Rice where they throw a better party. Instead of just criticizing the party that exists on campus, they throw a better party. They don't go and just picket the night of decadence. They throw the evening of elegance. It's a better party. It tells a better story about a greater God. The same is true with everything that we do. That's why we do the Maybe God podcast. Y'all, we didn't, we didn't engage in all the buffoonery of, of Las Vegas, but Pastor Gio and I, we, we mess around a little bit, but we, we, Ubered, we Ubered all over that city, and every time we were in an Uber car, we were talking about Jesus, talking about the Maybe God podcast with our Uber drivers. I've been emailing Las Vegas Uber drivers ever since we got back. I'm not even kidding you. That's the truth. I, I am telling the truth. That is, that is because... We didn't go to Las Vegas to judge Las Vegas. We also didn't go to Las Vegas to entirely join Las Vegas. Y'all follow me? (laughs) I promise. (laughs) Wherever we go, not just Pastor Gio and I, wherever all of us go, we're called to live a new life that tells a better story about a greater God. And people might not be worshiping the gods of Utnapishtim and Gilgamesh anymore, but people still have their gods. And our God is greater. People still have their gods. And living for our God will bring them more life and more joy. So we need to make that God known. I think that is why we live. And sometimes it's easy to get so discouraged and think the world's not the way it should be. And, oh, the world's just gone to hell in a handbasket. And, oh, my life is just awful. Everybody else has what I don't have. And listen, you were not made to be a religious critic of the rest of the world. You were also not made to be happily married with 2.5 kids, y'all. You were not made to get rich and retire a millionaire. You were made to live a new life that tells a better story about a greater God. How are you doing? How is that story being told in your life? How does your life resemble the better party than the one the world is throwing? Listen, we're not called to engage entirely in the world's depravity, but we're also not called to isolate ourselves behind these four walls. There's a reason on Easter Sunday you found us at St. Arnold's Brewery, because we're supposed to be where people are telling a better story about a greater God. People of God have been doing that for generations, and we stand in a long line of people courageously stepping out and saying, this God is better. This God's will for you is greater. This God loves you more than you possibly know. You've heard this is true, but really, you have no idea. I pray that your life reflect that story about that God today and this week 
And every day that you walk this earth, you will courageously live for that God who loves so much that he'll chase us all the way to hell and back so that we will know him. Let's pray together. God, give us courage to respond to your word today that we would uh, live differently. We would accept your invitation to truly believe and accept who you are. God, you are greater and higher and more loving than we've ever considered. God, we've often tried to box you in, and I pray for the courage to not do that anymore, that we as individuals and as a community would uh, embrace you for the great God that you are, and that we would with our lives tell a better story.